Acts chapter 2, and verse 42 is going to be where we're going to be drawing our attention to this, this morning. And I want to go ahead and read that verse. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. A couple of weeks ago, I started a series of messages talking about the church. The reason I felt like I needed to do this was because our 100-year anniversary is coming up. I mentioned that. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to use this time for us to reflect back and to see where we're at when we started, where we're at now, and have we eroded. In other words, I used that, first, that word for the, in the first week and talked about erosion. And erosion many times takes place slowly and over a period of a long term of years. And when you look back, you go, oh, wow, I didn't realize that the land had eroded that much or the principles of our nation had eroded that much or sometimes even in marriage. Seems like it starts off great and then you get married for a while and then you realize something has happened in the marriage and there's been an erosion. Well, what we want to do is we want to make sure that we look back and make sure that we have not had any erosion in the church from when the church began. Now, I want you to know we're not going to be looking back at erosion from the time Soda Baptist Church began to this point in time. But what we are doing, we're going to the Holy Scriptures. And we're going to look back at when the church began some 2,000 years ago and we need to make sure that Soda Baptist Church is operating within the boundaries or the guidelines or the principles of the Word of God and see if we have eroded any. I'll tell you, every church in America needs to do the same thing. God didn't make me the pastor of all the churches. He made me a pastor at Soda Baptist Church. I want to use the Scripture and hold us accountable to what the Word of God says. I just know the principles of a lot of churches in America today, and I can just simply say there's been some erosion. And I just want to, as a pastor here, I want to be responsible to see that we are not going that way. We've looked back at when the church got started in Acts chapter 2 last week. We kind of started, well, we did. We started at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. We talked about the, the celebration of Pentecost that was taking place in Jerusalem. We talked about the, the gift of tongues that came on the, the apostles. And when they stood up and they began to speak about the blessings and the, the events that God had given and taken place, the Bible clearly tells us that these men that had never studied these languages... It gives us 18 different languages there that they preached. As a matter of fact, it goes on to tell us that there were men, there were Jewish men, the Bible says, from every nation under heaven present that day at Jerusalem. So when Peter stood up and he began to address the people... And the Bible says that everybody understood in their own language what Peter was saying because of this gift that God had given to the apostles. What happened? There was a change in the people's hearts. 
They believed about the message of Jesus. So I, I was wondering, if you'll remember last week, I kind of used, I said, the Scripture tells us in, uh, in verse, uh, um, there it is, verse 41. Uh, and when they had gladly received His word and were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Well, you know what, I, I was, I said 3,000 out of how many? Okay, we do understand. I mean, we have football stadiums that will hold close to 100,000 people. The only way that you're going to be able to speak to 100,000 people is through an intercom system, okay? I know that Peter was probably limited to the people that could hear him just because of the sheer volume of people that was there. But I did. I went and done some research and asked the question, how many people were present at the temple and in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost? I just, I just, I looked it up. Remember last week, does anybody remember the estimation of who I, how many I said? I was saying, you know, there's possibly 10,000 people there when Peter stood up to preach. But we understand when we've done the research, it is estimated in Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost, there were between 100 and 250,000 people present. Now, not all of those people are under the hearing of Peter's voice just because of the sheer uh, limitation from the, the way that he could get his voice out. But we realize that there were a great number of people there and for us to say that 3,000 believed and repented and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ we can honestly say well that was just a drop in the bucket from the number of people that were present what was going on there now I want you to know the word began to spread especially when these disciples these Gentiles are, are, uh, these Galileans, when they begin to speak and they could, everybody could understand in their own language, the word got to going around. And people began to even crunch in there to hear what these apostles had to say. So when we're looking at this scripture, knowing that there were men from every nation present that day, and Peter stood up and proclaimed Jesus Christ, the Savior the one who died on the cross from your sins, who rose again, there were 3,000 people's lives who were changed forever. That is the birth of the church. That was the birth of the church. Remember we used the verse in Matthew chapter 16 last week, Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18, where Jesus said these words, and I will build my church. That's what Jesus was saying. He says, I will. We notice that that was future tense. But this is the day. This is the day. And I know that there's some controversy. Some people think that the church was established at a later time. But this is the, the day that the Holy Spirit came in and dwelt inside of man. That was the beginning of it. That was the beginning of this organism, the church. This is when people began, the Holy Spirit began to live inside of people. 
we became the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in us. That's the church. Now, let me just make a few general statements about the church before I get into these essentials, the things that it requires to make up a church. Jesus again said, I will build my church. We need to understand the church belongs to Jesus. All right? The church is run by Jesus. Now, I say the church is run by Jesus. Where is the instruction book? I got, have you got a copy of the instruction book? Jesus gave it to us. This is Jesus said, listen, I will build my church. Here's the instruction books on how to run His church, not our church. I want you to know the church is not run by a board of deacons. It's not run by the pastor's opinion or what he desires. It's not run by a committee. The church is ran by Jesus. We just simply read the instructions and we do it the way Jesus says to do it. The church is a group of called out believers. Now I said, you know, a church is a society that lives inside of a society. Because the church is a group of called out believers. It's a group that was called out of this world. Hey, Scripture tells us that we used to be part of this world until we put our faith and trust in Jesus and we have come out of the world and now we are a part of the body of Christ. We are a church. That's what He's done. We're a group of called out believers. When I say that we're a group of called out believers, we are men and women who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ according to to the Word of God, and believing and professing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, I hate that I have to do this, but we're talking about the Jesus of this Bible right here. The Jesus of the Bible. Jesus even warns us. He says, there are going to be many come in my name at one, di at one time. He says, listen, we're not talking about those who are claiming to be Jesus. We're talking about the Jesus that was born of the Bible. The one that came from heaven, who came from the right-hand throne of the Father, who was born of a virgin, who died giving his life on the cross, who three days later come and rose again from that death, and he now sits at the right-hand Father, waiting to come and receive us unto himself on the day of the rapture. That's the Jesus that we're talking about. The church is a group of people who have been called out of this world and now made a profession or a, a, a confession or a statement professing that they have Jesus as their Savior because of what they believe. That's what the church is. The church is not a building. You know, and, and that's a hard habit to get out of. Where do you go to church? Oh, I go to Soda Baptist Church. Up, up there on 190, about eight miles out of town. I had a guy ask me that last night. Where do you go to church? Yeah. That's exactly what I've done. I go to Soda Baptist Church out there on 190, about eight miles out on the left-hand side. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Well, listen. I'm a part of the church of believers around the world. That's the part of the church I am. But this is the building where we assemble 
to worship and we congregate together and we fellowship together. We come to know one another together. We come and learn and we teach others together. This is where we assemble. But we need to understand the church is not a building. The church is not a place uh, to come and hear what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. It tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, and this is what he tells him. He says, I charge you therefore before God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Now this is what he's telling Timothy to do. He says, you preach the word. Be instant, in season, and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Now, this is what he told him. He said, I want you to stand up there and preach. One of the words he says, you need to reprove. Do you know what reprove means? That means you take something and you proof it. Uh, you, you take something that's, that is, is, is the original, and you look at the original, and you see a replication of it, and you compare it to the original, and if they're not the same, you need to throw this one away. That's what it says do. I am telling you. He says, you need to go into the church and you need to reprove the church. I'm telling you what. I can take you to a lot of buildings today that they just need to empty the building out and start over. If you preach the Word of God and you reprove it, if there's certain doctrines that are being taught that is against the Word of God, that needs to be reproved. It needs to be thrown out if it don't measure up to what the Word of God says. Not only do you reproof, you rebuke. Now, we don't want to hear that. We, nobody in here wants to be rebuked. Your lifestyle is not measuring up to this. If you're called a child of God, you need to stop that cussing. You need to stop that running around and carousing. You need to stop that gossiping. You need to stop those things. We're, gonna, we're to reprove or rebuke one another in the Word of God. I don't mind standing up here and saying, listen, if don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger. If you want to get mad, take it up with God. He's the one that said it. I'm not saying it. I'm just repeating it. That's all I'm doing. But then he goes on. He says, not only do you reprove, you rebuke, but you exhort. Hey, man, you're doing a great job. It's not all negative. Man, you're doing a great job. Encourage one another. That's what he's telling Timothy to do with all long-suffering, with patience, with kindness, and doctrine. I could get off on that subject, and I'm not. But the reason I went to this verse right here is because it says this. I made a point that I hope you haven't come to hear what you want to hear. I hope, because we're not here to say what you want to hear. We're here to say what you need to hear, because it says right here, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and they shall turn into fables. In other words, 
what they're going to do eventually, and I think is already taking place, they have taken out the words, Timothy, I want you to preach. I, I left out the word. I want you to preach, exhort. That's it. All I want you to do is encourage people. I don't want you to teach sound doctrine. I don't want you to reprove people. I don't want you to rebuke people. That's what's happening today. And that's why he says, listen, the day is going to come when all they want to do is please with their ears, their itching ears. So when we look and we're challenged today, comparing ourselves to the church, the first church, one of the things we have to understand is we're not always going to hear what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. The church is not a place to come and be entertained, but a place where we worship the Almighty God and Savior. Let me just say that. I hate to hear churches fighting and fussing over whether we're going to have a doing a, a contemporary service or a traditional service or a modern service or an antique service. It's not about us, y'all. It's about the Creator. It's about the Savior. Man, ask God what pleases Him and come and please the Lord. There shouldn't be divisions. If you're coming to church to be entertained, you've come for the wrong reason. Church is not a place to be entertained. The question is not whether you like the style of worship Traditional is what God wants. Let me make a few more general comments about the church. I'm running late on time again. Went to a pastor's conference one time, and I was given a list of things that will help your church be successful. Now, this pastor's conference I went to was generally around a larger mega church. I'm not, we're not talking about a church of this size. But I was given a list. You want a successful church. You know what topped the list? Ample parking. If you're going to have a successful church, one thing you've got to have, top of the list, was ample parking. Number two. If you want to have a successful church, you've got to have a clean, good-looking nursery. If you don't have a clean nursery, they're not going to bring their kids. If you don't have a youth group, they're not going to bring their kids. Topping the list, parking lot, nursery, youth program. And you've got to have an attractive music program. Does anybody see anything missing here? There was a few things missing from this list that they gave me. But that kind of concerned me. I was listening not long ago to a talk show. You know, I don't listen to, I don't listen to music much. I like listening to preaching. I like listening to talk shows on the radio. Christian talk shows. A caller called into this Christian talk show and asked the talk show host what they should look for when they're trying to find a church. They went into this new community and 
ask, uh, you know, what should I be looking for in the church? Well, the, I mean, this talk show host came out with the answers. First of all, you need to find a church that is friendly. You need to find a church where they care about you. You need to find a church, that one that is willing to share themselves together. And I kept waiting for the punchline, and the punchline never came. And I was thinking to myself, oh my goodness gracious, go join the Lions Club. You can find friendly, caring, sharing people. Go join the Rotary Club. Hey, I'll tell you what, I've heard good goods talking about this gym down here, this, this gym club, you know, that you go and you go in there and work out. They're friendly. They care. Uh, they share. I know a couple of clubs and bars that you can find those qualifications. If you want to come and ask Wayne Bickley, and hey, and I have, I've, I've had people, uh, I see people all the time, some people that come and visit here. First time they come and visit, I tell them, I sure hope the Lord is calling you to come and attend this church. But if not, I know of a lot of good Bible-based, Bible-teaching churches right here in Livingston and I encourage you to go and visit them I'm all about the kingdom of God now I love growing soda Baptist church don't get me wrong but man uh, I, I want them to go where God is leading them but the first requirement of a good church the essentials are Bible based teaching do you know how I know that because I've looked in the scripture look what it says right here in in uh, Acts chapter 2, I'm hoping you're still with me, Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42, and it says, I'm going to read the whole verse, but I'm going to stop on this one statement here. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The first church... The first requirement, the essential of the first church is that they continued steadfastly in the apostle doctrine. The second essential of the church was that they had fellowship. They had community together. They came out from among the world and they had community. The third thing is in breaking of bread, which is a reference to the ordinances of the church, which is the Lord's Supper, and baptism is part of the ordinances of the church. But it says, and they continued the breaking of bread, which means, okay, don't think that we're just talking about the tradition. The breaking of bread means that they remembered every time they broke bread, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they reminded each other continually about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, which... When you put your faith in that, gives you eternal life. Man, that was an essential. The last, was a, the last essential is prayer. So let me tell you, in order for you to have a church, it takes these four essentials. Now listen, you can have more than that. You can have ample parking, and you can have a clean nursery. That's not a problem. But you have to have these four. If one of these four is missing... You've missed the essentials of the church. You've got to have the four essentials. Continued in the doctrine. Prayer. Remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and fellowship.
and fellowship together. Let me, let me show you how that plays out. Flip, since you're with me, look at Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And the reason I go to Acts chapter 10, understand when we're talking about this group of people, now, and if you continue to read in chapters 4 and 5 of Acts, you're going to see another 2,000 were added to the church. And I think it's so interesting that when you read through the book of Acts, it talks about all of the people that continue to believe. And another group was added, and another group was added, and another group was added. And they're added because the apostles and the people that are listening to the apostles are going around and sharing what they've heard about Jesus and what Jesus has done. So the church is continuing to grow daily, it says. Daily. Keep this in mind. They did not have the book of the New Testament. They didn't have that. So it says when they are continuing in the doctrine of the apostles, what the apostles are doing, they're repeating what Jesus has said. That's all they're doing. They're repeating what Jesus has taught them and what Jesus has said. So when we get to Acts chapter 10, what I want to bring to our attention, God takes and leads Peter to go to a man's house whose name is Cornelius. And Cornelius is not even a Jew. He's a Gentile. And this is what he comes. He comes, and I'm going to paraphrase it. They, they tell about the whole story how Cornelius was led of God to call Peter and then how Peter was up on the roof and he's led to go to Cornelius' house and Peter comes and stands at the front door and he says, Now listen, you need to understand it's against my laws for me to even step into your house. It's against my laws for me to even come in and have supper with you. I just need you to know, but God has told me that he is no longer, he is not a respecter of persons. I don't even know what I'm supposed to come and tell you. God failed to tell me what I'm supposed to tell you. So Peter goes, and guess what he does? He just tells what he's witnessed. Now listen to this. If you're with me, look in Acts chapter 10, and look in, we're going to just start in verse 38. This is where Peter is speaking to Cornelius. And this is kind of right in the middle of the conversation, but I, just for time's sake, I, that's where I'm going to start. Now, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses. Now, Peter has a group of people with him, other Jews with him. And we are witnesses of all these things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hung on a tree. Now Jesus raised up the third day, and he showed him openly, not to all people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, whom did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. Now, did you notice what Peter just done? He don't know what, he don't know what he's supposed to tell him, but he told him, I said, I want you to know, this Jesus that I'm talking about, God called him. God filled him with the Holy Spirit. He went around healing people, raising them from the dead. They hung him on a cross. He died, and three days later, he rose again. Oh, my goodness gracious. Peter had no idea what to tell these people, 
But he included this, didn't he? He's only telling them what he knew. Look what else happened. And he commanded us, this is what Jesus told them to do, he commanded us to go preach to the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, then he tells them this, through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. In other words, if you believe in Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that you can receive the remission of your sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all of them which heard the words, and they of the circumcision, you know, or the Jews, which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that of the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter had no idea what to go and preach or teach. He just told them what he had witnessed. And guess what happened on that day? That house full of Gentiles, people received, they believed, and they were saved, and they took them out and they baptized them because they, just like the Jews, had received the Holy Spirit. Do you know what the church is supposed to do? We're just supposed to go out and share what God has given us. Were you lost at one time in your sin? You remember what it felt like then? The guilt, the shame that you had because of sin? And Jesus came in, and when you put your faith and trust in Him, and you believed, He cleansed you from all that guilt and shame, and He set you free, and you have joy unspeakable and full of glory. You have peace that passes all understanding. Now, I don't mind telling you, if you haven't experienced that, you need to experience that. That's what, that's what believing and putting your faith and trust in the Lord does for all of us. They didn't have the Scriptures, but this is what Paul tells Timothy to go out and preach the Word. We read that Scripture a while ago. He tells Timothy to go out and preach the Word. I, I love this in Psalms 119, 161. It says, The people uh, standed in awe of God's Word. When the Word of God was being preached, they stood in awe. Another verse in Isaiah, it says, The people trembled at His Word. I, I, I like that. The first time you read about a pulpit, you go to the book of Nehemiah, they said they erect or they, they put up a, a wooden pulpit, I think is maybe the word in King James, I'm not sure. And Nehemiah stood behind it, and it said the people stood and listened to him read the word of God from morning till noon. I'll tell you what, next week. This is what we're going to try next week. I'm going to preach for 30 minutes, and I want you all to stand the whole time. See how that goes over. I'm just kidding. Y'all come back next week. I'll let you sit. That was another one of those requirements. If you want to have a successful church, have comfortable pews and air conditioning. Do you realize at one time, Soda Baptist Church didn't even have inside toilets? I can tell you a lady that attends right now today said, I used to bring a five-gallon bucket for my kids to use because they didn't have inside toilets. I'm glad we have inside toilets. 
I'm glad we have air conditioner. I'm glad we have, uh, I'm glad we have comfortable pews. But I'll tell you what, I go, I've been to a churches in Indonesia. They got a little bit of tin up in a roof, and that's all they've got. And they've got little old plastic chairs. And buddy, we've had church there because they had the four essentials. They preached, they sang, they worshipped God. Y'all don't mind, I'm going to finish. It's, it's high noon. I preached at a church, and I've already told you this, I know, some of you might not have heard it. I was invited to come and preach at a church, and the preacher told me, he said, now listen, if you go past noon, the guy that's sitting on the back pew next to the door is going to get up, and he's going to look at his watch, he's going to stand up and look at his watch, and he's going to look at you. He's going to shake his head and he's going to walk out the back door. He says he's done that every time I've ever went over past noon. I said, well, I said, that's up to him. So I got up and I got to preaching and it got about three minutes till noon. And I said, now I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit's not done with me yet. But if you want to ignore the Holy Spirit and you want to get up and walk out, you can get up and you can walk out now. You've still got two minutes to spare. And yeah, I was calling him out. And uh, he told me several weeks later I was sitting with his granddaughter that was dying with cancer. He said, Preacher, you called my bluff, didn't you? I said, Yes, sir, I did. I said, We don't just come to talk. I said, We come to preach the Word and take leading from the Holy Spirit. I said, You need to quit doing that. You need to quit doing that. Your preacher deserves more respect than you getting up and walking out before he's done. Now you don't want to walk out, do you? <laughs> okay, here. Let me finish. Let me finish. In 1 Peter 1 and 23, the Bible says they continued in their doctrine daily. In 1 Peter 1 23, it says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Listen to this. By the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. You want to know how you get saved? You get saved because of the Word of God. This is what it says in James 1 and 21. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and, and naughtiness and receive with meekness the engraved Word which is able to save your soul. That's why people that want to uh, go to a motel, and I've heard testimony after testimony, they went to a motel. They was going to commit suicide. That Gideon Bible was laying there. They opened it up. They read the Word of God that Jesus loved them. And they turned, they changed their mind, gave their life to Jesus. And the Bible, the words of God, changed their life. There's power in the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. Everybody, most everybody knows it. For by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves, uh, lest any man should work. Uh, so it, lest any man should boast. But then it's by your faith. But then what does Romans ten seventeen say? So then by faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Do you know how people get saved? Either someone is preaching to them the word of God, or someone is teaching them the word of God, or they've picked it up on their own and they've read the word of God, and you are saved by what comes out of these scriptures right here. No one has been saved otherwise but by the hearing of the Word of God. 
the Word of God. This is why they continued daily in the doctrine. In Ephesians 5 and 26, He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the Word of God. Uh, you've seen me use it like a bar of soap. Man, let me tell you, you can take this and you can read it and you can look in your life and you can get rid of the filth in your life if you will take the Word of God and apply it to your life. All right, last verse. Proverbs 2, verse 1. This is what it says there. Good teaching right here. My son, if you will accept my words and store up my commands within you, Talking about this right here. Turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Talking about understanding this and applying this to your life. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. In other words, you're seeking this with all your heart. And if you look for it like you would look for silver and search for it like you were looking for a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of of God, and it is centered right here. You know what has got to be the center of the church? The center of the church has got to be the doctrine of the Word of God. And they stayed in the apostles' doctrine daily. I know I keep saying it. I can't say it enough. The message... That, that Bible from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to Revelations, the end of the book of Revelation, is a love letter to you and me about how much God loves you, how He gave His life so that you might have eternal life. And that's all contained in the doctrine that we are to continue in every single day. I plead with you today, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, this is where you find salvation. This is where you find peace. This is where you find contentment in this world today is found in the Scriptures and it's found in Jesus Christ. I, I, I've got to stop. I've got to stop. I sure do love y'all. We need to get this out. If we'll get this out, there'll be fewer events like the world had to suffer this week. I've got some more to say on that. I'll probably say it tonight. But man, we need to tell people about Jesus. This is not a religion, okay? It's not religion. This is the real thing. It's not traditions. It's the real thing. We need to tell people about Jesus. Let's stand. Father, thank you for an opportunity this morning to just expound on what you have told us in your word. None of this is original with me. All I do is repeat what you say, and I'm glad that you let me do it. God, I guess my greatest prayer is that the Holy Spirit will take what is said and condition the hearts that they'll be ready to receive it. Thank you for what you've done for us today through your Son, Jesus.
be pleased with every decision that's made this morning at this church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.